When you're down and out, when you're on the streets, when evening falls so hard, I will comfort you. I'll take your Oh, when darkness, when darkness comes, and pain is all around, like a bridge over troubled water, I Sail on the silver curls, sail on by, your time has come to shine, all your dreams are on their way, see how they shine. Sailing right behind 
Thank you. I love seeing you sing along with us on that. I invite you to rise and body your spirit for the call to worship. What is praised is one. So the praise is one too. Many jugs being poured into a huge basin. All religion, all this singing, one song. The differences are just illusion and vanity. Sunlight looks slightly different on this wall than it does on that wall, and a lot different on this other one, but it is still one light. We have borrowed these clothes, these time and space personalities from a light. And when we praise, we pour them back in. Come, let us worship together. I invite you to join us in singing. The opening song words are in your order of service. It's very repetitive, you'll pick it up. May I be empty and open to receive the light. May I be full and open to receive the light. May I be empty and open to receive the light. May I be empty and open to receive. May I be full. May I be full and open to receive the light. May I be full and open to receive. Open to receive the dark. May I be empty and open to receive the dark. May I be empty and open to receive. May I be full. May I be open to receive the dark. Open to receive the dark. May I be full and open to receive the love. May I be empty. And open to receive the love. May I be empty and open to receive. May I be full. May I be full and open to receive the love. May I be full and open to receive the peace. May I be empty and open to receive the peace. May I be empty and open to receive. May I be full and open to receive the peace. May I be full and open to receive. You may be seated. Empty. Full, 
light, dark. We need both. We need both. We are between both worlds. Hello again. I'm Iris Magnuson. Welcome to First Unitarian Church of Albuquerque. And big welcome to Rabbi Dara Lerner, who we are lucky to have with us. Rabbi Lerner is a rabbi in the Jewish reform movement. She returned recently to Albuquerque from Bangor, Maine, where she is the Rabbi Emerita of Congregation Beth El after serving there for 17 years. Take a moment to notice the bodies down the row from you, uh, in front of you, small bodies stuck on go, learn, solve. Perhaps larger bodies in their way of navigating a world not designed for them. Same with bodies put together, clothed in ways you didn't expect before today. But now you get to expect wandering, antsy, itching, laughing, humming, coughing, oxygenating bodies in a room with music and chairs and all these technical wonders. Distractions to some bodies may be lifelines for others. Parents and other caregivers, sometimes it's enough just to be here. We hold space for you and decisions you need to make regarding the expected and unexpected things children may do. We provide literal space to hopefully make the tenuous moments more solid. A playground, a front with soft playthings, an art table at the back with things to color with and color on, and a family room across the hall where play noise is not the same problem. A cozy, soundproof, toy-stocked den where you and fellow parents can finally make a little noise. <laughs> the space between worlds is sacred and full of possibility as any. And I welcome you all to worship in it today. Welcome again, Rabbi Lerner. It is really great to have you here today. You all may recall that we originally had Rabbi Celia Serge scheduled to uh, give the message today, but unfortunately something came up at Congregation Albert and she had to cancel. So a funny thing is that Rabbi Lerner and I had never met before this morning, but we have a couple of connections. For one, she goes way back at Congregation Albert, including being a former intern there. And First Unitarian, as I've mentioned, has a relationship with Congregation Albert that goes back 70 years since we rented um, space, we met in their space in the synagogue back in the 50s. And I attend Shabbat services there with my partner who is Jewish, and I happen to know that Rabbi Lerner is admired at Congregation Albert. But also, it turns out that my son is dating her niece. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he met her before I did. <laughs> Such a small world, right? <laughs> Thank you for filling in today. What a blessing. Let's do a little meditation together. 
I can see you shifting, settling in, giving your weight all the way over to those chairs, as I like to say. After six days of carrying all that you carry, you get to come and just be held. Just be held right now. Breathing out any tension. And breathing in the peace that is always available to you. requires our attention. And as we spend a couple of minutes in stillness and meditation together, when your mind wanders, just gently, gently bring it back. Back to that breath. Back to that peace. Accepting yourself just as you are today and being held.
I will build this world from love. I will build this world from love. And you must build this world from love. And you must build this world from love. And if we build this world from love, and if we build this world from love, then God will build this world from love. Chesed Yivane. Let's lift up some of the prayers of our community. From my pastoral list, I lift up Joyce Etheridge, who is recovering from shoulder surgery. May she get all of the care she needs and have a speedy recovery. I lift up the Robertson family, whose child is struggling with addiction and has just been incarcerated. We lift them and their son, Jesse, up and everyone who struggles with substance use disorder, and all who, like the Robertsons and myself, have known the pain of having a loved one incarcerated. I know you bring many names in your hearts, and I invite you to call them to mind now, all the people and places you have a prayer for, and to speak the names out loud as the chime rings, if you like, so that we can hold them with you. All of these loved ones and places we lift up, and especially everyone affected by the big storm today, everybody along the West Coast. And we acknowledge there are many unnamed prayers among us, and that sometimes we ourselves are the ones in need of prayer. May all who are struggling in any way receive the shelter of peace. Spirit of life, source of love and compassion, eternal. In the Hebrew scriptures, the prophet Elijah goes searching for you in the windstorm, in the fire, in the earthquake, and finds you in the end, in the stillness. May we, in the noise and the flow of all that is our lives, remember to listen. May peace and stillness quiet our troubled souls and make space for healing and clarity, for self-compassion and for compassion toward others. 
And may we make our lives a blessing upon others through the unfolding of our days. May we build this world from love through our manner of living. Amen. And peace be with you. I invite you to pick up your gray hymnal and open to number 128 for all that is our life. You're welcome to remain seated for this one. Thank you. So nice to hear your beautiful voices. The iPad is for giving you impressions. <laughs> that no one ever complained that the rabbi's sermon was too short. <laughs> For those of you who maybe have a couple of things you want to get to th yet this morning, I'm going to give you my, all the important stuff up front, and then you can disappear, but I'll keep talking. <laughs> the sage of Jewish tradition known as Hillel once gave a concise, I would say, theology of Judaism. He was asked, be taught uh, all of Judaism while standing on one foot, and he said the following, what is hateful to you, do not do unto others. All the rest is commentary. So you've got the theology down, ready? Okay, number two. All of Jewish history could sort of be summarized in the following. 
we were others, they didn't like us, we got chased out, yay diaspora. <laughs> Jewish history, fast and dirty. And then number three, all Jewish holidays, and this, in this case I really use air quotes, but all Jewish holidays can be described as they tried to kill us, we won, let's eat. <laughs> you are now free to, oh, I think your minister would be happy if you stayed, but I, I'm just saying that that's, that's the key element. I'm gonna continue with the pop quiz. Ready? And by the way, I know there's a couple of Jews in the room, so I'm not actually asking you guys, just, just saying. <laughs> just saying. Um, how old is the Jewish religion? If anybody wants to offer a, a theoretical answer again, Jews in the room, don't get to raise your hand. Okay, so everybody else is now busy. Oh wait, I have in the back, yes. 4,000 years. 4, years, nice answer. Anybody else want to offer an answer? I like that answer even better. That one, I, totally the first time I've gotten that one, gold star over there. So the answer is, as a archeological, historical, anthropological kind of thing, the 4,000 is really good. 3,500 is usually the number, but we'll go 4,000, that's good. And the stories that inform and create Judaism are older than that. Why do we care? Sometimes Jews are asked questions like, what do Jews think about X or Y? And we have like a handful of answers. <laughs> and part of that is when you've been around 3,000, 4,000 years, you have time to come up with more than one answer. It's kind of what we do. So that often people say, what do Jews think about the afterlife? And we have like six answers. There's none, <laughs> there's what the world to come, which is some, some fancy way of hiding the idea that we think there's something else. Anyway, there's a whole bunch of answers to the reincarnation. All of them are legitimate Jewish answers. So if you ever wanna know why Jews have so many opinions about stuff, time. <laughs> Too darn much time. Okay, so that was question one, we're old. So there's a lot. Number two, so what percentage of the US population do you think is Jewish? I heard a 10, 10%. Anybody else? What? 7%. Oh, I heard a 2%. Go team. That is the correct answer. If we stand really, really tall, <laughs> I think we hit 2%. Okay. Last pop question of the pop quiz. What is the global population of Jews. Anyone want to venture? Don't be embarrassed. I'm not going to like call you out if you're wrong. I'll just correct you. So it's, it's fine. Guess a wrong answer over there. A lot. This is a fun bunch. I want to just say anybody want to turn that a lot into a number? Yes. Very good. Well, my math isn't so good. Less than one half so it's less than 0.5, less than one half of 1%. And by the way, you're cheating. <laughs> and I can call, say that because I know her, I promise. I'm not just randomly picking on somebody, I promise. So the reason I bring this up is that I want, the reason I want to have to start with these points 
is because I want you to sit with for a minute, in a sense, almost the uniqueness and the improbability of me standing here talking to you at all. Okay? I just want to hold that because it's a fascinating thing that may or may not have anything to do with Barbenheimer, but that was just a marketing gimmick in case anyone came for that reason. Totally marketing, <laughs> just saying, all right? Just to get you in the door. I want to own that. So what is Judaism? Classically in America, Judaism has become part of the landscape that said, particularly I think this was very popular in the 50s, 1950s, um, was Catholic, Protestant, Jew that put Jew on the same footing. It was a religious descriptor. Judaism, among the many things it is, yeah, sure, it's a religion. <laughs> I'll give you that. <laughs> but in truth, the best description of Judaism and the thing that makes all of Jewish history make sense and the diversity and difference of modern Jews make sense is the following description by Rabbi Mordechai Kaplan, who described Jew Judaism as an evolving religious civilization. So why do Jews rescue Ethiopian Jews who apparently have nothing to do with me as a good Ashkenazi American Jew? I have nothing in common with them from a descriptor of Judaism because the Judaism they practice, it doesn't even look like mine, is because we are part of a people and a civilization that share a long narrative story and a sense of obligation to each other. It's evolving because as I mentioned earlier, why do we have so many answers to things? Because the Judaism I practice and Adam Sandler and Golda Meir and Moses Maimonides of a thousand years ago, the Judaisms we practice have very little to do with anything that Moses knew anything about if he actually existed wandering around in the desert. Okay? So it evolved. It encounters something new, it changes and adapts and absorbs. So we're constantly changing, but we share a core narrative, which is the religious story. The divine went into a particular, not unique, not only not disassociating with the rest of the world, but a particular relationship with a family. And then that became a tribe, that became a people, that became a civilization, that among the many things it also is, is oh yeah, it's a religion too for bonus points an evolving religious civilization. And that encompasses all of us, including those of us living today. So that the lox and bagel Jew, who couldn't tell you where the nearest synagogue is, when any Jewish holiday is, or anything, has something in common with somebody who is Orthodox or somebody who's a Jew in India. What's that commonality? This back story that we share, which we hang on to dearly and tightly. But one of the things about being Jewish is that I'm not actually any of that history stuff. I'm part of a movement called, and every Jew alive just about today is part of something called Rabbinic Judaism, which is the gift of about 2,000 years ago, in which they had all this received tradition, the Bible, Torah, Hebrew scriptures, etc., and then tried to figure out how to do it because Jews are a doing people. I once taught a class on Jewish theology, and the very first day of class I said, I have no idea why I'm teaching this class, because we don't do theology so much. <laughs> Actually, I had a student argue with me, which was entertaining. Um, but that said, we're not, you know, we have theology, but really we're a doing people. And so the rabbis, the sages of, our, of Jewish tradition, tried to figure out how to do Judaism, which meant taking these great old stories and holding on to them just tightly enough to tell everyone else that they're important and meaningful and part of who we are 
and tell us something about who we are and who we expect or want to be, but had to encounter modernity, reality, how do you do things, and what is actually meaningful and important. And so it took a story from a biblical text and tried to figure out what it means, how to apply it. I'll give you an example of a text, how Judaism is, text is central to Judaism, how you engage with the words to be able to think about the world, discuss with others, create sacred space in those discussions, and actually go out and do stuff. Because really, what we're supposed to do as Jews is get up in the morning and do stuff. That's it, that's entire Judaism in truth. Just go out and do some stuff. Emphasis on do the good stuff, the right stuff, the ethical stuff for bonus points. So in last week's Torah portion, we had this great phrase, one of the biggest ones in Jewish, like almost every Jew I know knows this great phrase in Hebrew or in English, it's tzedek, tzedek, tirdo. Justice, justice, you shall pursue. It's repetitive, it must mean something. You gotta do it, because it says it twice. We all know if you say something twice, well, you mean it. Well, let me let you in on a little secret. It's actually a grammar thing, in Hebrew grammar that they had to repeat it. It doesn't actually. So if we were to pull the veil back, not that exciting. <laughs> that said, this is what Judaism does it. It says Judaism twice. So it must, this is the implication of the power of thinking this text is important and then trying to live it. If it repeats it, it must be important. Grammar be darned, it's not about that. So tzedek, 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 justice, justice, you shall pursue. So the first justice is your basic universal, it needs to happen in the world, justice. But there must be some other kind of justice because it says it twice. So what's that other justice? So one frame is there's justice in our home and justice in our public spaces. There's justice for our community and justice for every community. There is justice for those who have resources and those without and every kind of dynamic that you can think of, Judaism has says, that's why it says it twice. Oh, by the way, never forget the second half of the sentence. Like with Hillel, it's not just the like, don't do stuff, it's study. <laughs> so the second half of the sentence is always important, Judaism. Tear dope, go and pursue it. It's not just like, oh, yay, justice. You don't get to sit there with cheering squads and going, yay, justice for us and for them. You actually have to get off your tush and go pursue it. Recently I heard a, uh, an example that considered that justice of one kind, and then there's a second kind of justice I just recently learned was the notion that it's compromise. That there is justice in compromise, which is not a landscape many of us associate always with justice. But how do you do compromise that is just? that reflects what needs to happen in that experience. So that's a very Jewish way of how we deal with stuff, is that we have this tradition, we have this history, we have the civilization. Yes, there's a God component, but really the question is, what are y'all doing? That's the question. And we take our text, pursue justice, we look at them, and then we go out in the world and do them. That's the goal um, of Judaism, is to all of those men manifestations. I'm going to glance at my notes so I can pretend that I am um, have some sort of order and know what I'm doing in the next few minutes while I'm here. Uh, let's see. Judaism is also referred to as an ethical monotheism. There's one set of rules. 
had an interesting conversation with somebody in the, uh, after the previous service, and one of the things about Judaism is that you're very much monotheists, even the complete atheists. And what I mean by that, no, 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 it works. Judaism's a weird thing. I just want to own that. Um, but I personally like it. Uh, so the importance of monotheism is it says there is one authoritative way to understand that there is good and evil. Now, we may decide that in the past they got it wrong, <laughs> but it doesn't deny that there was stuff that's right and wrong, things you should do, ways to be helpful that exist. That's the mono part, is it says that there is a standard one. You don't get to like go, we're not supposed to go uh, rabbi shopping, we're not supposed to go God shopping, I really don't love your <laughs> worldview on that, so I'm gonna go look somewhere else. So Jewish mind says, no, you don't get to do that. <laughs> There's one, it's an anchor for the second half, which is it's an ethical monotheism. It isn't just like I pray to God as one, I'm done. Oh, one and done. Um, it's not that. It's that there are ethics. There are right and wrong, and that's the landscape of Jewish obligations. And it's not that Judaism has like some that nobody else on the planet has. We just have a particular worldview about looking at them and doing them. So Judaism's an ethical monotheism. That's a uh, Rabbi Leo Beck understanding of Judaism. Judaism is fundamentally counter-cultural. Number one, way back in time, going back to the monotheistic thing, the world was full of gods. It was very, very busy. And Judaism said, nope. One. Seemingly today, not that radical an idea, but back in the day, it was a thing. I promise. Read your history. It was a thing to go to mono, one, and everything that that implied early counterculture. Another early counterculture is in that book that many of us don't read very well, but it's a really brilliant book called The Bible, or Torah. And right there at the beginning, it introduces this very countercultural idea, which is, you get a day off. <laughs> I see some head nods and, a lot, and hear a lot of laughter. And why? Because it's still a radical idea that you have the right the privilege and the gift of a day off. And in the storytelling way, the divine has a day off, so who the heck are you not to have one? Well, I, don't, I don't actually know if, the, if God exists, that's a whole other lecture. But um, the image that even the creator of everything needs a day off, how much more humanity? And then the second part of this bold countercultural idea is that everybody gets a day off. The Shabbat, the Sabbath, is not for the elite. In the Greco-Roman world, Jews were considered serious, I'll use a modern word, slackers. Because we let, oh darn, wives and children and servants and animals have the day off. That is just craziness in a structure that says limited people have power and privilege in the world. Judaism said, ixnay, one day a week, Everybody. Very countercultural idea to this day. Judaism is countercultural. Three, your emotional landscape, your privilege to feel things. 
In America, we are all about getting over, getting through, and getting past our grief. I don't know how many of you have worked in an organization that actually gives you time off for a death in the family, but if you work for a really, really, really good company, three days. And then when you get back to work, everybody's like, you know, either not paying attention to you and your loss. Maybe it's better now, but back in the day, it was not so good. We were about not expressing your grief and not having it a public experience. Judaism says you have the right and privilege to experience your loss and builds an entire narrative that starts with when somebody is ill and their death and their burial and caring for the people left behind and you as a member of the community are allowed to step out of your obligations to community as you experience your loss and the community is supposed to step to you. Imagine that in America today. I'm voting not so common or not so popular. So just a brief introduction to some of the background of Judaism, what Judaism is and its dynamics. Now, I'm not going to forget that I called this Barbenheimer. Other than a marketing appeal for you to go see both movies because they're actually quite good, and I, and I used to manage video stores, so I should know. Okay, anybody, oh, a couple of you might be old enough to remember a video store. Um, <laughs> I remember before Netflix, okay, that's how <clears throat> old I am. That said, I want to use those as two things that reflect on being a Jew in the United States today. One is, if you look at Oppenheimer and who he was separate from the politics of the bomb and all that kind of stuff, I'm not going there, we're just talking about him as a Jewish person. The truth is that he is a model of how in the United States it's still problematic and it has been a truism throughout Jewish history is that Jews are utili utilities for dominant cultures, power structures, and surrounding communities. What I mean by utility is Oppenheimer was not a popular guy, in case you missed that, <laughs> until he was needed. And one of the reasons was, yes, the film spends a lot of time on his um, communism, but let's get real. The truth is, we didn't like Jews. We didn't. Through much of history, Jews are convenient utilities by dominant cultures, by power structures in their society. You, Jews were used as stuff. And Oppenheimer, to some degree, as long as he was useful, yes, there were some challenges, but when he stopped being useful, among the reason, we can blame it on the communist thing, but in truth, if you know your history deeply, the Jewish thing played a huge role. The other way Oppenheimer is important in sort of the Jewish thing in modernity is Jews play this really fun game called are they, is he, is she, did the good person or was the bad person a Jew? We all have little Jew-o-meters, <laughs> whether we want to or not, but if we hear a Jewish name doing good, we hear a problematic do. That's part of the American experience, even today. Okay? So that's why I wanted to bring up Oppenheimer. He was brilliant, Einstein we know, all of these famous, but there's a utility that's disconcerting about Jews, even today in America. And I'll say the sentence out loud, Amazingly enough, anti-Semitism has not disappeared. I'm always shocked every day I get up in the morning, open the newspaper, still there. It's a, it's a little irritating, um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but it's a reality. It's not exactly the same as the utility problem, but there is that problem. Barbie is the other story. 
Other story of Jews in America, yay Barbie, yes, cheering in the back. So many of you may know that Ruth Handler, the woman who created Barbie, was a five foot nothing Polish Jew. You may not know that. I see a surprise looked in the corner. Uh, Google, you'll find some great stuff about her. I highly recommend you learn about her. Amazing woman. So uh, Ruth Handler modeled Barbie on this doll she saw in Germany. And what I want to say about Barbie is it's really fascinating that this woman borrows a German doll and produces the iconic American blend-in idealization, all feminist cricket critique aside, we know the problems, but creates Barbie, <laughs> creates this image of, however you want to fill in the blank of that sentence, this outsider in American society, a woman, <laughs> Jewish, short, other, creates something that becomes the emblem. That's a great Jewish phenomenon into even today. How are we particular, and yet we spend so much of our time trying to be just like everyone. By the way, that goes all the way back to the Bible. There's a great quote about when uh, one of the prophets is trying to convince the Jews not to have a king and says everything horrible that will happen when they have a king. And um, the Jews respond with, well, actually Israelites in those days, respond with, we want a king. It's part of that, you know, we really just want to be everybody. <laughs> so Barbie is this great, Barbie and her creator is this great dynamic between <laughs> how we are particular and how we want to be part of everything. And in truth, are. Doctors, lawyers, etc. we're all part of everything. We're poor, we're struggling, we're agnostics, we're atheists, we're Jew-boos, we're Hindus, <laughs> we're, I'm not sure it's Tuesday, am I a Jew? Should I answer a question with a question? Of course, I'm Jewish, I have to. Every kind of Jew. <laughs> My last thought, and because um, I promised you that I'd be short and, of course, didn't tell the truth, uh, I've run over time again. The last thing I want to leave you with is, what is the one thread that ties all, air quotes, Jews together in this evolving religious civilization today, in the United States in particular, but globally, is this notion, tikkun olam, Tikkun for the word to fix or repair. Olam, we heard earlier, it's the word for world. It also means universe. It has multiple um, uh, meanings and translations. But the thing that unites Jews across all of this, the Lachs and Babel Jew to much of modern orthodoxy, is this sense driven by this story I mentioned earlier. We have a particular relationship with the divine who has a whole bunch of rules about how we're supposed to make this world better. Even if you don't have any of that backstory, even if you're totally 100% sure there is no God. All of that aside, the one thing that almost every Jew I've ever met feels is the sense of obligation to make this world, this broken, beautiful, challenging, hopeful world better. And not only that we should, but the very bold and countercultural idea that we can. Shavua Tov, a good week to you all.
Justice. Justice. Is it an answer, a question? Are we taking action? <laughs> action is the answer. We will. We will pool resources. We will step up and lead. We will know it's our turn and be ready to offer what we can when the basket comes around. Nothing brings us more of a sense of what's possible to go, what's possible from the start than books. No surprise, First Unitarians Change for the Future partner is Libros for Kids, who mails one book every month to kids from birth to age five in Bernalillo and Valencia counties. That means each child in their program receives 60 books a year, including 12 bilingual titles, 300 books in all by age five. You may drop loose change in the basket or mark one of the envelopes on the back of the chair CFF to direct offerings to Libros for Kids. We will now take the only step we can right now and receive this offering. This song by Shoshana Jebdwab comes from the story of Ruth and Naomi so it's the ultimate mother-in-law story, a relationship so strong that Ruth adopts the faith of her family and promises, where you go, I will go, beloved. Where you go, I will go, beloved. Where you go, I will go. Where you go, I will go, beloved. Where you go, I will go. Where you lie, I will lie, beloved. Where you lie, I will lie. Where you lie, I will lie, beloved. Where you lie, I will lie. And your people. Where you go, I will go, Mother Earth. Where you go, I will go. Where you go, I will go, Mother Earth. Where you go, I will go. And your people are my people. And your people are my people. Your people are mine. Your 
You're divine, my divine, and your people are my people. Your people are mine. Your people are my people. You're divine, my divine. Where you go, ancestors. Where you go, I will go, ancestors. Where you go, I will go. Where you go, I will go, ancestors. Where you go, I will go. And your people are my people. Your people are mine. Your people are my people. You're divine, my divine. And your Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your generosity on behalf of the congregation and on behalf of our partner, Libros for Kids. May these gifts be for blessing in this world. Thank you, ushers. We've got some invitations to share with you, and you can find more information about some of them in your printed program as well. One is that the Social Justice Council and the Arts and Aesthetics team invite you to check out the Social Justice Art exhibit they've put up today um, with some items for sale and some refreshments. That's in the social hall, same place as coffee hour, just down the hall after the service. Then at 12.30 in Memorial Hall, there will be a screening of the documentary Waylaid in Tijuana about the migrant crisis at the southern border. Memorial Hall is just across the courtyard. On Friday, there's going to be another showing of the film Racially Charged about the criminal justice system. That's at 6.30 in the social hall. That one's definitely in your program if you want more details. Next week. Next week. All church barbecue and volunteer fair next Sunday, August 27th. Find your service spot at First U that morning in the courtyard, then join us for food and fun in the playground behind the Religious Education Building, after second service for burgers, hot dogs, and veggie options. Visit the connections table today if you want to help, which I guess I'll be helping. That's what I hear. I hear you've, you've been, you've either volunteered or you've been voluntold. <laughs> The best. <laughs> You'll be flipping burgers, right? <laughs> and so will my partner. So you can help them help out by going to the connections table after the service Ooh. if you'd like to pitch in. Uh, okay, speaking of connections, Connections Sunday is coming up. That's our big uh, group of Palooza that happens every year. It's going to be on September 10th, and that's when you can come and learn about all the different groups that happen at First Unitarian, visit with people at the tables representing them, and uh, sign up for some. That's also the one time of year that you can sign up for covenant groups, so be sure to mark your calendar to come to church on September 10th. All right, I got a couple more um, less sexy announcements. 
Uh, one has to do with parking. So I talked about parking last week, and you, you may have noticed that that fence that Comanche Business Association has put around their lot is complete now. The gates are gonna be open on Sundays from 8 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Um, and then if they close, you'll be able to still get out. You'll be able to get out. You won't be able to get in, but you'll be able to get out. Um, if you're used to going through the little uh, pedestrian pass-through between the two parking lots, that is still possible. There's a code, though, to go from our side to that side. Um, today, if you can get that code from me, and after today, you can also get it from the church office. I just haven't told them what it is yet, so <laughs> I'm it today. <laughs> I do have an announcement. Um, this is a note that was passed to me. You might have wondered what was happening just then. The contractor over there needs folks who are parked on the west section of that business lot to please move your cars right away after the service because they're unloading a bunch of equipment. So I didn't know they were going to be doing that today, but apparently they are. If you're parked on the west side of that Comanche Business Association lot, you'll want to move your car right after the service. Um, okay. We've also got chat tables an official chat table in the social hour if you're like me and it, you do better when you have something to do in a conversation with strangers. Um, you're welcome to join that. And whether you do or you're chatting somewhere else, here's a question that you can use to get the conversation started. What do you wish others could experience or hear from this service today? What are you gonna take out from here and share? What do you wish others could experience or hear from this service? I invite everybody now to rise in body or spirit and greet each other with a gesture of peace. We like to do it with a hand over our hearts and we just extend the other one toward each other. Peace. It's good to be together today. And while you're up, if you want to grab that gray hymnal again and open, open to number 155. Circle Round for Freedom is a very popular hymn in many denominations, written by Linda Hirschhorn. And this congregation used to sing it standing in a ring, holding hands. Here we go. Circle round for freedom, circle round for peace, for all of us in prison. Circle for release, circle for the planet, circle for each soul, for the children of our children, keep the circle. We're going to do it a couple more times. Try those harmonies. Circle around for freedom, circle. One more time. Circle round for freedom. Circle round for peace. For all of us in prison. Circle for peace. 
in peace, friends, and may love bless you and keep you until we are gathered again. Blessed be.